I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And as you turn there, let me just tell you about a, a friend of mine. I have an experience with her this week. About a month ago, I was invited by this gal to go to visit the county jail. Now, she was not in the county jail, but she was doing some ministry there. Um, this gal was leading a women's Bible study. She's been doing it for many, many years. And so on Monday morning, I drove at 8.30, met her over there at 8.30, and I went to the Buzz Westfall County building to join her as she led a Bible study. And I was absolutely enlightened upon going in the building. Just a couple of observations. First of all, the security there is obviously is, is just intense. You, know, you can't go anywhere without a key or a badge or anything like that. The security was just incredibly uh, difficult and challenging no matter where you went. Um, when we walked into the meeting hall and the meeting room where the gals were there, um, I, I noticed when the gals came in, uh, they were all dressed in, with the same prison garb. Now, we would, we would understand that. But what I took away from that it was this. They had been reduced to a uniform and a number. They didn't use a lot of names. This person said that sometimes they even change their names to maybe suit some kind of persona. So they, they'd almost been stripped of all their dignity all of their humanity, if you will. Very difficult. Another thing I observed, that they were in there for a variety of reasons. You know, all of them had broken the law, all of them had done something wrong. Some of them had actually been in there before. One gal had been in there before, was released and, and was back in there. She was an older gal. And so they were all in there for a specific reason. And the last thing that uh, I observed is that they were all there of their own free will. They knew that this was going to be a Bible study. And they came there. Some of them had Bibles, some of them didn't. And so they all gathered in this room. We gathered in this room. And this gal led the Bible study for these ladies. And over the course of an hour, um, this gal walked through the book of Jonah and how Jonah ran, how Jonah was running from God, and how God worked in such a way to get, their, get Jonah's attention. And, and the gals read the Bible. Um, they responded well to the questions that were asked of them. They asked great questions. None of them was... Um, disruptive or upset or, or anything like that. I mean, they were all, all listening intently. And I would imagine they were listening because they were in trouble. They had nowhere else to go, and they wanted to hear what God would have to say to them. So over an hour, we had this Bible study. And then uh, the gal ended, closed, uh, ended the, the session with them, closed their eyes, and, 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 and she prayed. And when she prayed... She had tears in her eyes. I could tell it. And she's just praying for the hearts of these people whose lives needed to hear about Jesus. They needed to hear about what God had done and how Jesus can radically change your life. They needed hope in the midst of despair. And as I left and as I was driving home and I had a chance to reflect on, on some of these things, uh, I had a couple of, of observations. The first one was this. This, this is... What, what this gal was doing, going out from the church, leaving the confines of this church building, going out into the world, bringing the message of Jesus, there's absolutely trust in God's word. And what I mean by that is this. We have no idea if any of them will ever return. If they're in there for a while, waiting trial, they, they may return. But we have no idea. And this may be the only time that they might hear something such as this. So in, in some ways you can go, why in the world would you go do this when you have no idea if you're going to even see any fruit? Because it's a step of faith. It's an element of faith. You go out there, you, you bring God's word and trust that God is going to use his word, Isaiah chapter 55, that God's going to bring his word to fruition in the lives of people. 
And so that's why when we leave this building and we go out in the world, we do the best that we can to tell people about Jesus because we have no idea what God can do through the power of the Holy Spirit, if you will. The second thing I learned is this, and I don't know about your past. I know about my past. It's not very, not very elegant. There but for the grace of God go I. My life could be entirely different, and probably some of you too, would be entirely different if there was one change or one choice that you went in the opposite direction and did something. I know it's true of my life. There but for the grace of God go I. And any one of us could end up in something like that or something similar to that. And what I, what I came to understand was this, that at one time I was just like them. I, I, I was a prisoner. I wasn't in jail. But I was in a prison called, a prison called sin. And I was running and I was rebellious. And I was thinking I had it all. And I was doing all the things that I needed to do. But I was in a prison called sin. And the unfortunate thing about that prison of sin is this. It's, it's in many ways worse than being in a physical prison. You can get out of a physical prison sometimes, depending on what you've done. But the prison of sin needs a supernatural transformation. You need to be confronted with the reality of who Jesus is, what he's done for you. And you need to put your faith, your trust in Jesus. And he will take you out of the kingdom of darkness. And he will place you into the kingdom of his son. And that is something that has to happen on the inside. And only God can do that. And the only thing that we can do is continue to be faithful, to tell people about Jesus, trusting that the Holy Spirit of God, Titus chapter 3, verse 5, would come alongside of them, transform them, and change them, and make them who that he would want them to be. And we have no idea when and how that can happen. We just trust the Lord and what he would do. And any moment of time, any of those gals, any person can trust Jesus and their life can be radically different. And they can be brought into something, something absolutely beautiful. In all of God, he can change their life and they will become part of what? This, the church. Not just a physical place, but the universal church. What God is doing all over the world to bring people to himself. God is building his church in a variety of ways. And what you and I have the privilege of being a part of every Sunday, whether it be a small group here, other places, we have a great privilege of being a part of the church. It's a beautiful thing. What I want to do this morning is for the next couple of weeks, I just want to walk through the essential church. Man, we've come out of COVID, and boy, that, that saw, we saw a lot of things happen with the church there. You can't meet. Hmm, that's interesting. A church can't meet. Well, God calls us to meet. And so what I want to do in the next couple of weeks, I just want to go through a series on the essential church, and we're going to be looking at a variety of topics, probably metaphors from the Bible. And, and as we begin, I, I want to remind you of one thing, foundational, if you will. Jesus loves the church. He loves the church, not a building, not a place. He loves the people and the church. And the reason we know that is because Jesus went and he died on the cross for our sins. That's what Paul says. Ephesians chapter 5, we get a beautiful description of Paul and his teaching on the church in the context of marriage relationships. Notice what he says. Husbands, love your wives just as what Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. I, I, I would imagine most moms and dads would do anything for their child. They would die for their child. They would sacrifice for their child. Jesus sacrificed his body on the cross for us. 
on the cross for us. Notice why. To make her holy. Make who holy? The church holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. All of those gals. It doesn't matter your past. How bad it is. Christ can cleanse your life. He can cleanse your heart. He can cleanse your mind. He can cleanse your very soul. Why does he want to do that? Because he wants to present the church to himself as a radiant bride. Look around. Welcome to the church. Welcome to all of us. And Jesus wants to present us to himself as a radiant bride, no matter what you've gone through this past week, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how challenging it is, no matter how many mistakes you've made. Christ is changing you on the inside through the Spirit of God and molding and making us into something beautiful called the church. And the church is God's redeemed community, restored in relationships. And the universal church, all over the world, people are part of the church. So what I want to do is I want to just read our text, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Luke read it, but let me read it again. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, if you have been in the Gospel of Mark, we looked at this passage and when we looked at this passage in the Gospel of Mark, we understand that, that immediately after this in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said, uh, uh, okay, by, by the way, I'm going to go die. I'm going to go offer myself as a sacrifice for sin. I'm going to go die on the cross. And remember, Peter goes, no, 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 you can't do this. And, and Peter rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus, that's in the Gospel of Mark. What we have here is something different. Matthew is taking us in an entirely different direction. He's going to take us into the direction of the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And this is the first time from the lips of Jesus that we're going to have this idea of the church. Notice what he says, verse 17. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples to, not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the church. Father, I thank you that Jesus went to the cross. and He paid our debt. He paid for our sin so that we can be cleansed, that we can be holy, that we can be blameless, we can be righteous. And we stand before you in that way as we look around, Lord. We realize that we are all saints we are holy ones. We are set apart, and we thank you for that. And it's, and it's because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so, Father, I thank you for the great privilege you have of gathering together this morning. And, Father, I do want to pray for our friend Mariah. Lord, we pray for Luke and Mariah, for Holly, uh, these two gals who are pregnant. And we just entrust them once again to your care, knowing that you will continue to guide and direct them. Father, these are holy times, and, Father, we don't take for granted how you are forming these little ones in the, in the womb. So, Father, we lift these two gals up to you and the husbands and ask that you would guide and direct them and lead them, give them peace. And all God's people said. Amen. So really what I want to do this morning is I want to focus on what I believe is one main theme. There's a lot of themes in here, but maybe one theme. 
and it's in verse 18 where Jesus said, I, I tell you, Peter, that on this rock I'm going to build my church. Uh, Jesus was telling Peter, and he's telling the disciples, he's saying, listen, something, something unique is going to happen, and, and what I'm going to do is we're going to build a church. I'm going to build a church. And uh, what I want to do is I want to look at this text, and I want to, I want to pull out some things. It's kind of difficult because there's, there's no, like, four points in here that you can just articulate. So what I have to do is I have to read it, study it, meditate on it, and say, okay, Lord, what, what are some things that I can draw from in this passage about Jesus and the church? And there's four things I want to talk on. Number one, there's an identity. There's an identity in the church. The second thing, there's a description of the church. It's interesting. There's a description of the church here, what we're called to do and be. There's a foundation of the church. Is the foundation Jesus? Is it Peter? There's a foundation in the church. And there's a, there's a perseverance in the church. The church is going to be preserved. The gates of Haiti will not prevail against the church. You realize that. The gates of Haiti will not prevail. So that's kind of where we're going to go, those four points. And let's just see how far we get and see what we can learn. So that's my job this morning. So first of all, I, I believe that Jesus, I'm going to build my church. And there's an identity of the church. We're going to see that in verses 13 to 16. Now, when you look at this text and you step back and say, okay, what's the broader context of this of this teaching, we know that Jesus was in Bethsaida, and he healed a blind man there, a blind man. And they leave, and they go 25 miles to the north, and now they're in Caesarea Philippi. And, and Jesus is walking around, and he's traveling with his disciples. And what we know about this is Caesarea Philippi was a place of a lot of different gods. When we went and toured there, there's water that comes up out of a spring. And there's a, there's a rock formation, there's a, there's a cave behind it where the pan god used to be. And most people think that, that that water actually, spring used to come up out of the cave and out. And that's why they would, people would gather there. The pan god, the goat god was there. So this was actually a place of worship. There were Syrian gods there. Now the Greek gods were there. There were all kinds of gods there. Against the, the backdrop, against this wall, they had these little niches that were, that were carved out with a little step, if you will, and you could put your god on there, and people could gather in this area, and they could worship whatever god they were. This is almost a holy place, if you will, for people to come and to worship and trying to connect with whatever god they found. And in the context of this, in the context of Caesarea Philippi, in the context of all of these false gods, Jesus initiates a conversation about the church. And it's going to focus on his identity. He asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? In other words, what's the word on the street about me? Oh, you're a miracle worker, you're a teacher, you're a wise guy. Maybe you're John the Baptist, maybe you're one of the prophets, maybe you're Elijah. The word on the street is, you know, we don't have a clear indication of who you are. But we know that you're a miracle worker. We know that you can do a lot of things, you're a great teacher. And then Jesus asked them directly, well, who do you think that I am? And Peter responds, Peter the spokesperson. Maybe we're getting a little indication of what it means for Peter to be the rock. Peter pipes up and he says in verse 16, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. We as Jewish people, we've been waiting for the Messiah. We've been looking for, longing for. The Messiah's going to come. He's going to conquer Rome. He's going to usher in the kingdom. The Messiah's going to sit on David's throne. He's going to vanquish all of our enemies. There's going to be righteousness, there's going to be justice, there's going to be peace. And there's going to be these 12, 12 thrones. And, and, and we want to, by the way, as the Messiah, we want to worship with you. We want to be right there with you. We want the Messiah to come, the one who's promised to come and usher in peace. So they identified him as the, the Messiah. But they also said something else. He said this, you're, you're the son of the living God. One of Jesus' references, he, he called himself the Son of Man, but he calls himself here, but he's called the Son of God. 
He's the creator of everything. And the backdrop of all of those, those other gods, whether they be Syrian gods, whether they be the gods of, uh, of Caesar, whether they be the pan gods, and the backdrop of all of those other gods, they're confessing that Jesus is the Messiah and he's God's unique son. That is baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. At the transfiguration, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So, so we have this understanding, unique place of Jesus identifying himself as what? I'm the one that's promised in the Old Testament. I'm the Messiah. But I'm also the son of the living God. I'm God in the flesh. And I think what we take from this is this. When Jesus is building his church, he's building it on the unique identity of Jesus. Not on anything else. The church needs to be built on the unique person of who Jesus is as the Messiah, as the Son of God. He is the absolute cornerstone of our faith. You know, when you build a business, and I don't know a lot about business, but I, but I, I follow business and I pay a lot of money into businesses. A, a lot of businesses, what they'll do is they'll create a slogan, right? They want, they want to create a slogan. So it's a catchy way of getting you to remember their um, their business and what the product they're saying. So I want to just give you a couple. And, and let me see if you can identify them. What's this one? Just do it. Nike, right? What's Nike selling? A lot of stuff, right? Just do it. Bet you can't eat just one. Lay's potato chips. I'll be eating a lot of those on Super Bowl Sunday. What about this one? It keeps going and going and going and going. Energizer Bunny. We know that. What are they trying to sell you? This battery's going to keep going. It's better than everything else. What about this one? When you care enough to send the very best? Oh, yes. That's six bucks a pop? Yeah. Yeah, you've been in the Hallmark store? Oh, I probably shouldn't say that. Not cheap, is it? What about this one? Some of you, okay, you younger generations, you're not going to get this. All right, here you go. Let your fingers do the walking in the... There you go. See, you understand all that. You understand what a business is doing. You understand a slogan. You understand exactly what they're trying to do. And a lot of times, we are able to identify a business, an organization, something like that, by what they are selling us, by the slogan that they have. And I think what Jesus is simply telling us is this. The church is about the Messiah, the one who's promised in the Old Testament. And the church is about the Son of God, the Son of the living God. And I have come, God incarnate has come to you to reveal God to you. And, and, and Jesus is the absolute cornerstone of our faith. It's not the denomination that you're in or not in. It's not the pastor. It's not the name of the church. It, it's, not, it's, not what, it's not what your church does. The church is built on the unique identity of the person of Jesus Christ. And everything that we should, we should be doing should be seen through that grid, whether it be children, youth, mission, anything. We're looking through the grid of who Jesus is and what he's done. And we draw our identity from Jesus the Messiah. And we draw our identity from Jesus as the living, the son of the living God because of what he's done and what he's trying to do. Isn't he trying to conform us into the image of his son? There's an interesting example of this, I, I believe, in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, it's, it's the expansion of the church, right? We're seeing, the, we're seeing the church grow. We're seeing it go out, and we're seeing it expand all over. And, and you come to the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 11. And the church of Antioch, it's growing. It's, it's kind of busting at the seams, if you will. And, and, and 
Barnabas is there, and, and Barnabas needs some help. In Acts chapter 11, notice the description of the church and the people. Notice what happens. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and he found him, and he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, met with what? The church, and taught great numbers of people. So the church met, and Barnabas and Saul, what are they doing? We gather together, why? So that we can teach each other. And notice what else it says. The disciples were called, what, Christians first at Antioch. What is their identity? Christians. What is a Christian? It is a Christ follower, a Messiah follower. And by the way, that is actually a derogatory term given to the Christians there by people outside of the faith. People outside of the faith saw what was going on in the church and saw all of these people, what, their lives are being transformed, their lives are being changed, and they're following this Messiah, this dead Messiah who's been raised. And in a derogatory way, they're referring to the Christians as followers of Christ. I think what that reminds us is this, that we find our identity not just as a church, but individuals in Jesus and the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of the living God. And I want to root all of my life in Him and who He is and what He's done. So that's our identity. The second thing, there's a description here, and it's, and it's a beautiful description. And I think this is where we got lost in COVID. Notice what He says in verse 18 I will build what? My church. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is building a church. It's not my church. It's not the elder's church. It's not this person's church. Jesus is building, he's building his church. What's the church? Is it a building in the middle of a Roman city? Is it in, in Mark's gospel? Was it Mark's house? Was it Lydia's house? Remember, they gathered outside and they ended up back at Lydia's house. Is, is the church a house? Is the church in an ice, it's a fire, or Priscilla and Aquila's place in the book of Romans? What, what is the church? When Jesus talks about the church, what's he talking about? When Jesus mentions the word church, and you look at the New Testament, over 110 times that word is used. And the word, Greek word means this. It means ekklesia. And it means the, this. It's, it's the idea of a gathering. We're a gathering today. It could be a legislative body. It could be a, uh, some other kind of gathering, if you will. It could be a legislative assembly. It could be something broader than that. It could be a riot. There could be people gathered together for a specific... They, they assemble together for a riot. And it's really uh, any kind of gathering of people. And we see this beginning in the Old Testament. In the book of De Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 10, notice how the word is used of this, this concept of gathering. Deuteronomy, chapter 4, it says this. Moses is speaking. And by the way, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And he's looking back and he says this. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live. Assemble the, word, the people together, gather them all together, and I'm going to give you the words to pass on to them. Why? So that they will revere, they will worship me, they will live for me, they will honor me. The, 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 the nation of Israel is gathering what? To hear from the Lord about what they should do. In the book of Acts, Book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is giving a long testimony of the nation of Israel. A long testimony, just before he's killed. In Acts chapter 7, verse 38, uh, Stephen is looking back to Moses. And notice what he described. Stephen, New Testament, looking back to Moses in the Old Testament. And notice how he describes the gathering. He, Moses, 
was in the assembly in the wilderness when the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on. The assembly, assemble. When the, the New Testament was translated, they looked at that word assemble, assembly, those Hebrew words, and they turned it into this idea of ekklesia, called out ones. They changed the understanding that we are a gathering of people. So what is Jesus ultimately doing? He's building a people. A gathering of people coming together to do what? To worship, to learn, to encourage, to build up, to help one another. It's a gathering of people. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Notice what it says. They continued to meet together where? Where were they meeting together? In the temple courts. They were meeting together in the temple courts. They were assembling. They were gathering together. We need to be together. And I think what we learn from this idea of the church and gathering assembly is this. We're a gathering people. We're supposed to gather together. Yeah, you can have church over here, and you can have it over here, and you can do a lot of things by yourself. But it seems to me what Jesus is building is a church, a collective group of people who's come together, and they're radically different, and they need each other. We are now a new community of people, and we need each other. And I need you, and you need me. And we need each other in the family of God. Peter heard these words of Jesus. Peter was right there. He heard the words. He was the one through the revelation of God who gave the, the confession of, of, of Jesus. Now, years later, Peter writes about this concept of a unique identity. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Notice what Peter does here. He takes terms for the Old Testament he takes those terms from the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, and what does he do? He brings them together into a formulation of what the body of Christ looks like. That's what he says, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, 9 says this, but you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. Do you realize that you are a royal priest? That you represent Jesus as a priest to other people? It's not just pastors. We're all priests. We're all saints. We all have a responsibility. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a holy gathering of people. God's special possession. Do you realize that today, that you are God's special possession because of your faith and your trust? No matter what you're going through right now, no matter how difficult it is, he has not forgotten you. You're still part of his family. He still loves you. He still cares for you. And by the way, he's still working in your life in a powerful way. Why? Because you're a son. You're a daughter. Why do we gather together? That we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once were you, not, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a beautiful assembling together of the family of God. Because of what Jesus has done for us as we put our faith and trust in him and who he is. What I would suggest as a church, as a gathering of people, as an assembly, is this. We gather together to fuel our faith. We need to be together. We need to sing these songs together. We need to be in awe of what God is doing. Somebody in our, in our Sunday school class, the adult Sunday school class this morning, shared a story in which God was honored because of a family coming to faith out of the result of an accident. And all of us sitting there hear that, and we hear this story and go, yes, maybe that could be my family of non-Christians. 
And there's a sense of awe, not about us, but about what God is doing. And that's why we need together. We need to fuel our faith. We need to fuel each other's faith. We need to encourage each other. We need to gather to sing. We need to sing together. We need to share together. We need to be as iron sharpens iron together. Let me ask you something. If you're truly a believer in Christ, does another believer have the responsibility, the right in your life to come and to speak truth in your life? Do you allow them to do that if you get a little bit wacky off track? We would do that to our children. But what about us? The Bible says iron sharpens iron. We need that. And we need to be together. Why? Because we have our identity in Jesus and we are a gathering community. Over and over, we're going to see that in the New Testament. Over and over, we're going to be a gathering community. The book of Hebrews says this, Hebrews chapter 10. Notice the gathering together and the impact of the gathering together. Notice what he says. And let us consider, think about, ponder, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So as I leave here today and I look at the community of faith and I look at what's going on, what I want to do is I want to be thinking, I want to be pondering, how can I build up people in the body of Christ? Oh, man, I saw somebody in my class. They didn't look like they're doing well. Oh, I heard this about, I'm going to phone call, I'm going to text message. I'm, I'm going to send, some, I'm going to do, I'm going to respond in such a way that we're building each other, love and good deeds. And when we do that collectively together, the Bible says the body of Christ grows. Notice what he says. Not giving up meaning. You know what that means? Don't neglect. That actually means this, don't abandon. That's what you do. When we, when we do this, when we don't come together, we are abandoning, abandoning our responsibility to build up, encourage each other. That's what it means. Don't abandon each other. When life is hard, do you want somebody abandoning you? No. What we want to do is we want to build up and love each other, and we need each other in the body of Christ. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Huh. After COVID, we saw a lot not just us, churches all over, people finding new ways to do church. And what's unfortunate, a lot of it is just not being together. Now, I think live stream is good, all that. There's a lot of people who can't get out. I, listen, I get that, and we want to do that. But it seems to me just staying at home with a cup of coffee and just not getting involved with others and not being as iron sharpens iron and not listening and being around other people is not what we're called to do. By the way, aren't we going to spend eternity with each other? Now listen, i got bad news for you. I'm going to be in heaven. You're going to spend eternity with me. But I mean, look around. We're all going to be there. And, and I, I think that's what he's talking about here. We need to build up into the lives of other people in a passionate, loving way. Gene Getz, uh, I mentioned this this morning, Gene Getz created a church a church in a lot of other churches. And he built his church, the philosophy of his church was on the one another's. 12, 14 one another's. Love one another. Admonish one another. Build up one another. Pray for one another. All of those one another's. He built a church, an organization upon those one another's. And if you go back and look, we are called to be one another with each other. Live peacefully. Encourage, accept. Warn, serve, be patient, bear one another's burdens, submit, be hospitable. You can only do some of those things. You can only forgive someone when they have hurt you in some way. And a lot of times that means we've got to be doing this. We've got to be moving. 
And so what I would say and remind us is this, that Jesus is our identity, but we are a gathering people and we need to gather together. So I invite you to join us. Join us. Come join us. Be a part of God's church. By the way, we're named Hope Church because we want to connect people with the, the living God. The living God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has given us what? Living hope. That's what we want to do. Hopefully connect each other. Number three is this. A foundation. You've got to have a foundation. And I think what we're seeing here is, is, is the foundation. Almost every a business needs a foundation. You know, when you go to college, you don't, you don't start with your hardest classes your first year, right? Don't, don't they build a foundation? You don't, when, you, when you build a house or a building, you don't go start, you, you don't work on the roof, right? Don't you build a foundation? Businesses, I mean, don't we work hard at building a foundation? And the reason I think that's so important for us is this. Life is hard. Life is hard. You got to market on shame. You got to market on when bad things happen. You got to market on life, death, what happened. You, you know all of those answers? I didn't. There are complex answers or, or, or questions in life. And our young people are asking them. They're asking those questions. And you and I have the privilege, because of who Jesus is as the Messiah, as the Son of the living God, we have the privilege of taking that message out to other people. And I think in the context here, what God was going to do is, is God was going to use Peter. There's a couple of ways that you can use to see this phrase, verse 18. No, let me just read the phrase. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Some people believe that the rock refers to Jesus. Jesus is the foundation, and all that he has done, life, death, burial, and resurrection. And the architect and the foundation of our faith is Jesus alone. And we know all that. None of us would disagree with that. But the text seems to imply that Peter is going to have some kind of extended role in all of that. Not just Jesus. Some people believe, the Roman Catholic Church believes that this is Peter and that he is the foundation as a supreme leader and the first bishop of the church. As promoted by their scholars, it gives authority to the hierarchy that they have. That Peter is the number one, the first, and there's a succession of people following the line of Peter. Uh, uh, following the line of Peter. Well, let me ask you something. Can you build a church outside of Peter? I mean, can't you build it? in a different way? I, I thought, I thought the, the identity of the church is on Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus the Son, Son of the living God. You know, there's other ways of doing it. Some people believe that what he's talking about here is, is the rock is Peter's confession. What was his confession? You are the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And there's no doubt that there's, there's an element of truth to that. It's absolutely true. The rock is his confession. What he's doing? He's confession. And by the way, that is a supernatural confession. Flesh and blood didn't tell you that, but my Father who was in heaven, it was supernaturally revealed to him. That's one way of looking at it. I think it's, it's another way. I think Jesus is the foundation. He's the foundation of all that we do. He's the foundation of the church. But what he's doing, he was building on the lives of Peter 
and the disciples and other apostles. He's building on that foundation. Ephesians talks about that. It says, built upon the foundation of the apostles, prophets, Jesus being the cornerstone. I think there's an element of that. Then what's Peter's role? I think Peter was given the keys to the kingdom. Acts chapter 2. What does he do? He goes in and Acts chapter 2, he tells the Jewish people about Jesus the Messiah. He opens the door of evangelism. He opens the door of the message of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2. The keys to the kingdom have been opened to the Jews. In Acts chapter 10, he receives a vision. Go. Cornelius. Cornelius is a pagan. He's outside the realm of Israel. Go to him and tell him about Jesus. I think when he's talking about opening the keys, having the keys to the kingdom, is that Peter was given a responsibility, along with others, to take the message of Jesus to the Jewish people, and he introduced the message of Jesus to Cornelius, a pagan, in Acts chapter 10, if you will. So the keys were opened through the message of Jesus, through Peter, to Jews and Gentiles alike. Peter, I'm going to use you in the body of Christ. I'm going to use you. And I want you to be faithful to take that message to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And that you and I are given the responsibility to do the same thing. We have the responsibility to do the same thing. That's the foundation. The foundation is life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in that that body of believers who went out and told people about Jesus. And then last thing, and then we're done, is this. There's a preservation. Notice what it says. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will build my church in the gates of Hades. What, what does a gate do? A, a, a gate was outside the city, and, and you don't get in the gate, right? It's, the gate is, is, just, is just there, the gates of Hades, the gates of death. The gates of Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus' message of salvation has shattered death. It shattered all of that. We, by embracing Jesus as the Messiah, have the great privilege of taking that message to other people so that they can hear and be released, if you will, from Hades, the gates of death. Listen, death cannot stop. You may die physically, but spiritually, if you're believing in Jesus, where are you going to end up? You're going to end up in heaven. And Satan can't stop that. At the cross, he was defeated, right? At the cross, he was defeated. And what we have the great privilege of doing is recognizing that Jesus is the one who holds the keys to the kingdom. And we have the great privilege of going and be a part of telling people about Jesus. So let me just end here with a couple of things. Number one is this. We're going to learn that we gather to worship and we need to be together to worship. But we also need to know is we need to go out. That gal left Hope Church to go to a place where a lot of people don't want to go to sell some people that she may never see again about Jesus. When we leave here, one of our main missions, goals, is to tell people about Jesus. It's that simple. And we need to do that. And we are part of the collective body of Christ that understand who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and we have the great privilege of taking that message to other people. And I don't know about you, but I want to do that. I want to continue to try and be intentional in my life about the places that I go, the people that I see. You know, it, 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 the, the guy that I bought a motorcycle from, you know what? He's going through a bad way right now. He's going through chemo. What's my responsibility to him? I'm going to build a relationship with him so I can tell him about Jesus. And I think it's the same thing for us. You, know, you don't know what God's going to bring into, who, who, who God's going to bring into your life. 
But as a, as a people, let's continue to be mindful of responsibility that we have together to worship and to go out to serve. Because Jesus is, listen, he's building his church. I will build my church. He's going to continue to build my church. Another thing is this, are you part of the church? I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about are you, are you part of the family of God? How do you become part of the church? Well, you believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins. And by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, that you will have eternal life and you will be cleansed from your sins. I'm going to repent of my sin and I'm going to reach out. I'm going to trust Jesus. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And the last thing I would say is this. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of you have been a part of this church for many, many years. And I'll tell you what, I, I recognize it and I see it. And I know it. And I am grateful for the part that each one of you play in the body of Christ, building up, whether it be financially, whether it be serving. You are a part of this body of Christ. And we thank you for that. You know, the, the, the reason that Diana is meeting after church is because we, we want to do a great job of teaching our children about Jesus, the Son of the living God. And so that's why we're doing what we're doing. And thank you for being a part of that. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you for your grace. Father, thank you that we are a part of the family of God. Father, thank you for what you've done in sending Jesus to come to this earth and to teach and to do miracles and ultimately to point us to you. And by going to a cross and offering himself as a sacrifice for sins. Father, we just thank you for that. Father, I thank you for my friends in this room. Father, I do pray that you would allow us to leave here with a mission, that you would burn in our hearts the desire to tell people about Jesus, and that you would allow us the great privilege of building your church with you. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.